And now reading from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, This is his mother. Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars from the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So we continue our conversation around values. I feel like today we should be talking about lightweight and low maintenance. <laughs> but alas, today um, I want us to spend time discussing around this value. There's always room at the table. It's described um, or defined further by this. We storyline our hospital, hospitable people, welcoming everyone into our community. So I want to begin this morning inviting um, us into uh, two imaginative exercises. And so I'm going to invite you in a moment to uh, close your eyes and imagine what a table like this might look like, a table where there is always room. When you envision a table that has room, who's sitting there? Uh, what do the people look like? What does the table look like? Uh, what is distinctive about the room that the table sits in, right? There's no right or wrong answer here. We're going to use our imaginations to imagine what this might be like. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths, and center yourself. And when you hear the phrase, there's always room at the table, what image comes to mind? What does the room look like? What does the table look like? Who is seated at that table? What are the sounds and the smells and the tastes that are there? Give you a few minutes to imagine that scenario. Okay, when you're ready, I want to invite you to open your eyes, come back to the room. I'm curious if a few people would be willing to share um, what they saw, what their uh, imagination sort of led them to.
Okay. Um, so, uh, we grew up with a round table <laughs> and one of the things I love about round tables is that you can always add more people in. So this like this picture of a round table. And then there was this one video I saw on YouTube of this like expandable round table. So like you would like turn it and it like makes it so that it makes it bigger. So then I was thinking about like a table that could do that and you could add more people and then you could do it again and you could have more people uh, and you cool. could do it again and you could have yeah. more people. But I love the idea of a round table. You still get to see everybody and mm. it was not like a head or a foot of the table. You just like, you're all there. And so that was the first thing. That's great. Thanks. She stole mine. <laughs> I love the idea of the round table. Um, this one is very difficult for me. I see people I hate there. Mm. And I don't mean people mm. that generally society dislikes. I'm talking about people I hate mm. there. People who need my forgiveness, who I refuse to give it to. Mm. I see... Russian Federation soldiers who mutilate and kill people, who kill people I care about in Ukraine. I see people who are politically very unkind toward other people. I see people that have wounded me personally. And yet that's, I guess, what we are all called to, even though I don't want to be called to that. So I just like, you want to pray, Lord, help me want to be that way because I'm not there yet. I think so. Anyone else want to share? So why am I passing it around? You guys can pass it around yourselves. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's the table that's yeah, right. that's right. <laughs> All are welcome to pass your own mic. <laughs> <clears throat> um, okay, so there was a round table too in, in my imagination. Um, but the round table wasn't in like a churchy space. It was in like kind of a darker lit space. Like maybe it was a bar, but we cleared out the little tiny tables so that we could have our big round tables. Um, and there was people who weren't like wearing church clothes, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, there was people who wore whatever they wanted to wear or, um, yeah, just people that were different than me, but also the same um and <clears throat> it was people that i feel like church people in general might be uncomfortable with um you know but we were laughing and you know sharing food and 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 drink um and there was just a lot of welcome I can't help but <clears throat> think of the gospel of Brandy Carlisle and her song Crowded Table and just this feeling.
there is like a sense of relief or like, um, like we've all been out working hard or doing different things. And then there's just this sense of like, we're tired and weary, but we're so happy to be together around this table. Like it's good to be back home and be back together. Um, and it just feels like a relief. It's great. It's truly. Okay. A uh, second imaginative exercise. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes again and uh, identify and reflect a moment in your life where you have felt truly welcomed. Uh, and I want as best you can to think of a particular situation, not just the season of life, but a context that it actually happened in. What were the dynamics at play? What was happening within you? What were the circumstances surrounding it? So I want you to try to identify, mine, your own life and your history in your experience, identify a moment when you felt truly welcomed. Okay? Like you begin to close your eyes, take a few deep breaths. Spend the next few moments identifying a moment when you felt welcomed. Um, who was involved? What were the dynamics at play, both within yourself and in the context and circumstances surrounding it? So take a few moments to think of a moment you felt welcomed. When you're ready, you can open your eyes and come back to the room. Curious if anyone's willing to share. All are welcome. No one is required. There we go. So it, this was an interesting one for me because, um, I think my personality is such that I'm way more comfortable uh, offering the welcome mm. than receiving the welcome. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a desire for control uh, in that of, mm. I would rather come from a place of abundance and offer uh, something than come from a place of deficit and need to receive. Uh, and, and so that's, it's hard for me to enter that, that space um, of vulnerability. And th- this is a, I haven't thought about this memory in years. And so it's funny that it came uh, bubbling up today, but um, in December of, let's see, 2009, 
we were moving from Abilene to Dallas and had packed up the U-Haul and we're about to head out. It was like 70 degrees as we were loading it up. I was in shorts and sweating. And overnight, the cold front came through and it snowed. An unbelievable, I don't even remember that the, it was like the most snow we've ever gotten. It was Christmas Eve. Um, the most snow we've ever gotten on Christmas Eve. And so we made it, uh, to I think Ranger, Texas. Uh, that's right. Cause we couldn't make it down. So I, I drove this U-Haul. I had, uh, my wife, uh, valid a separate car. My sister was actually traveling with us and my mom. We were in four different cars, uh, spread out. You know, this was 2009, even like cell signal wasn't even what it is today and we couldn't connect. And we, it took us like, I think seven hours to make it to Ranger, which is like, Whoa. An hour drive. Wait, you know, Ranger hour, Hill, maybe the hill going up. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, multiple times we were slip sliding over the highway and uh, doubling back and this road got closed and they detoured us around somewhere else. I mean, it was, if we had known, we would have just stayed another couple of days in Abilene, <laughs> but then we're out in the middle of it, you know? And so it's just as bad behind you as to go forward. Um, and so, you know, just this, we, I remember we finally got, um, to, we pulled off the road and there was a dairy queen there and we parked behind it. And I remember, the U-Haul that I was driving with all my worldly possessions in it skidded to a stop and just went into a snowbank. And I thought, well, I'm leaving that there for a while. <laughs> and long story short, through some people at the Dairy Queen, we found our way over to the, I think it was the First Baptist Church of, of Ranger or somewhere back in there. And uh, on a table much like this one, um, people from the town had come and just brought I think there was hot cocoa and coffee and just some snacks. There was an invitation to use the outlets on the wall to charge your phone or to lay down on a pew for a little while if you needed to. Um, and, you know, it was one of those small towns in West Texas that mm-hmm. I probably don't think about a lot. Uh, <laughs> and if I really search myself, might have certain stereotypes of the people that live mm-hmm. there. Uh, and so to find myself, um, you know, vulnerable and needing that hospitality and just getting to sit down at a folding table, um, with a styrofoam cup of, of hot chocolate and some snacks. Um, that, that was welcome in that moment. Thanks, Miles. Well, being the Christ figure in the situation as always. Honestly, I think it was here um about like 10 nine years ago especially when we had our women's discipleship group and i was kind of talk about things in in ways um and just kind of y'all sat with me in that place and i needed that and that was very very welcoming to me because I did not feel welcomed at the church we had come from because questions were not welcome and um, thinking about those things were not welcome. And I could hear with y'all, especially in that space. And so that was really, really um, important to me. Thanks, Megan. Daryl. 
<laughs> okay. I, I, I think we need three microphones just spread around. Um, for me, Megan, for me, it happens to be a portrait of Kramer with a, huh. with, with a Christmas, uh, Santa hat on, uh, and a big table that's set up in the living room of your and Ted's home, yeah. uh, that, uh, when we first started being here and, uh, being at your house, uh, for all those times that, that our missional community gathered, that, that y'all would treat, uh, such old folks like us, uh, with kindness. We really love that. And that, that was what first popped into my mind. Right. Thanks, Daryl. Um, mine is probably, um, we had not seen our older child two and a half years, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, since she has an autoimmune disease and could not come home for Christmas, uh, due to COVID. And, um, our son-in-law, Pete, um, we got with him and, um, surprised our oldest child, uh, for her birthday, her 34th birthday. And his parents were so gracious, um, that they set up tables in their backyard. And, mm-hmm. uh, our, our child did not know we were coming. And, uh, his mom is from Norway and cooked, uh, these Swedish or whatever pancakes or whatever, fixed a whole big old spread for all of us to come to their home and sit and have, um, breakfast together and get to visit with our oldest child. And, um, so that's mine. That's great. That was last year in July. Thanks, Terry. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. I was thinking back to my childhood. Um, I just, we didn't have, we had a very small family. Um, my dad was an only child and his parents were gone. And, um, my mom had one sibling and her parents lived across the country, like, like off the coast of Canada. And so when it was holiday time, um, we were with friends, um, every Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, anything like that. And it just never crossed my mind as a child that like, I don't know that that was, I don't don't know that it was unusual per se, but that that wasn't what everybody did, you know? And I mean, and I remember those people having their family there, but it just never felt like we were imposing or so. I just have this embedded sense of the holidays as a very um, big welcoming experience um, that you can include anybody in. and. Um, you know, and I, I just don't ever remember it being a thing of like, I guess we'll stay home and hopefully someone will invite us. It just was like this, just immediate warm, like, well, obviously you guys are coming or, you know, I don't know. And just, um, now that I'm an adult, I'm like, oh man, like, like friends can be more like family sometimes, even than family. Um, Mm -hmm. and just, I see pictures now of those people who, are my parents' friends on social media and they are so old. But I look at them and it just immediately, like, I feel those feelings again of like, oh my gosh, like these people raised me and were so welcoming. And like, I know where they kept their cups and, you know, just, just really sweet memories that I think when you embed that in someone at a young age, it just sticks with you of like, oh, this is what it feels like to be welcomed into someone's family. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Julie. 
Um, so mine is also, uh, here at Storyline. Um, when we first came to Storyline, we were in the middle of crisis, having left another church. Um, as I was figuring out my sexuality and I just remember like being intentional. About, about like telling my story and, you know, for you guys to know about me so that if it wasn't going to work out here, I could, you know, prepare myself. Um, and I'm just, I've just been so thankful that I, just get to be me and um I don't have to pretend or you know just hide myself so I felt really I feel very um deeply uh grateful and privileged uh knowing that I, I've felt and continue to feel welcome in ways that a lot of people don't have the opportunity. I mean, Shin just shared this, this community in this space, uh, welcoming us out of our own church and religious trauma. Um, I have a group of friends, um, went to grad school together and every, most every year since 2007, uh, the four of us get together. Uh, we call it Brobatical. Uh, barely won over Manfest. Uh, and we have a, we have a rhythm. Uh, we typically four days, three nights, and each of us takes a morning or an afternoon to sort of share where we've been the last year. Uh, and it's the, the thing that's distinctive to me and sort of this, this notion of hospitality and welcome is I don't ever feel the need that they're going to try to fix me. Now, that could be my honest, fullest self, which Jen will tell you isn't always pretty. Uh, and, and they're not, they're not frightened by it. I don't feel judged by it or shame from it. Um, and it, it is, and I'm fortunate to have spaces like that in a number of different areas of my life. Uh, Dr. Christine Pohl, who is a Christian ethicist at Asbury, uh, wrote arguably the seminal work on hospitality in the Christian tradition. It's called Making Room, Recovering the Ancient Practice of Christian Hospitality. Uh, it's older. It's 1999, but it remains like the book that everyone goes to. And uh, in it, she tries to sort of detangle the contemporary notions of hospitality that we've acquired and recapture what she sees in both the Hebrew scriptures and in the Christian tradition. And that is hospitality is something different than our contemporary notion of the hospitality industry and hotels, where there is almost always a host and a guest, someone who's providing and someone who's receiving. Instead, Dr. Pohl argues that hospitality is always a two-way street, um, where in the space that's gathered, Everyone gives, everyone receives. And she goes to biblical texts that point this out. 
Um, one of the, one of the ones that folks often point to is Genesis 18 when three strangers come to Abraham and Sarah. And she points out that they both give and they both receive. Uh, the angels ends up to be God receive the hospitality of Abraham, uh, as he and Sarah provide food and shelter. Uh, and Abraham and Sarah receive the news that they're going to have children. And so she walks through all of uh, scripture to point it out. The ways in which hospitality is the space, uh, where people can be fully themselves, which she draws from Henry Nowen, and where everyone gives and everyone receives, where it becomes difficult to see who is actually the host and who is the guest. Uh, I, I think I've shared this story before in this space, but Jen and I um, had good friends in a previous life. Uh, and uh, she, the, the, the wife, um, had this, um, this deep sense that she had the gift of hospitality. And it was true whenever you were there with them, uh, your cup was always full. Your plate was always full. Uh, but over time, we discovered uh, she was very, very anxious. And so you couldn't actually sort of speak openly and honestly. Uh, otherwise, conflict would come up and she would kind of shut it down. Uh, even came to the point where um, uh, there was the, the tension was uh, happening between us as I was uh, pastor of the church we were part of, and they didn't like some of the direction the church was going. And so they, they were really upset about it. And Jen and her were best friends. And, uh, essentially she told Jen, like, we could talk about anything but church that's off the table. And Jen was like, nope, that's not how I do friendship. Like, I can't, I can't do that. Paul, when she talks about hospitality, uh, she not only uh, researches it historically, but she also does practical research. So she works with communities that are seeking out um, to be welcoming. And one of the things she noticed is that communities that are best at welcoming others uh, know who they are. So they have a clear sense of their identity and uh, what they have to offer, who they are in the world, sense of mission. And she also says that communities that are best at welcoming others commit to a few things. The first thing is promise making and promise keeping. And the second thing is truth telling. Uh, that communities that are welcome are trustworthy communities. And the only way to build trust or one of the two primary ways you build trust is by making promises and keeping those promises and telling the truth to one another. She says, we build trust by being true to our word, by holding on to one another, and by staying at the table long enough to understand the differences. So I'm curious, what do you think about this? This is a more difficult question. But what's your response to this notion of hospitality or being a welcoming community, um, being connected to this notion of promise-making, promise-keeping, and truth-telling? What do you notice about those connections? Yeah, so Paul points to promise-making and promise-keeping and truth-telling as two important pursuits for communities that want to be welcoming. And so I'm 
the, the question is, um, what do you think about this connection between those things and what it means to be a welcoming community and hospitality? Maybe, uh, um, we can think of times where we've experienced that, where someone has made a promise and kept it, and it's built a trustworthy kind of community. Or we've been in a part of a community that's told the truth, and we've experienced the welcome in that. So I'm, I'm just curious um, how you see this connection, how you've experienced it, or questions or thoughts about it. Of my questions that I put together today, that was the one that was like, I don't know if this is very good. We'll see how it goes. Uh. So I kind of feel like truth telling might be essentially promise making and promise keeping. Right. right. That I, I don't know. Like I, I, I promise to be fully who I know myself to be and to present that fully to the people that I'm sharing life with. Um, and I'm going to keep that promise by, you know, continuing to say what I really feel or what I really think. Mm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And so like, you know, clear expectations, um, feel welcoming. Mm. So, uh, I don't like this question. Great. I told you it wasn't very good. So we can, we can move on. <laughs> uh, and I don't like it because it's, it's challenging to me. Um, this is, uh, for those of you that like the Enneagram, this is a very Enneagram three thing. And I've had to sit with this for a long time of one of the most authentic expressions of myself is a desire to match other people's energy to come alongside them to hear their story. Hmm. Um, to, to, to achieve that, uh, is very meaningful to me. That's the healthy version. The unhealthy version is a fear of truth telling for fear of disrupting the relationship, yeah. uh, and, and being inauthentic to myself uh, within that and not realizing that I'm doing that. So being truthful in that sense is actually like hard for me, uh, even to be self-aware that I'm not being truthful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so this bridge of connection between promise making and promise keeping and, and truth telling um, is one that I'm still exploring. Yeah. Thanks miles. Right there. It's just right there. <laughs> the bridge. Good job. The bridge. <laughs> um, it reminds me of uh the beginning of John when they talk about that uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Mm. And I think of that phrase that phrase grace and truth. Yeah. Um and how we so often uh focus on the grace or focus on the truth. And, and the, the combination of those two, the balance between those two. And I think there's still in that, in kind of what you were saying as well, the truth telling and the promise keeping the balance of those, um, that there's something there. So. Mr. Walker. Uh, this is really left field, but, um, as I 
I keep thinking of this meme that I saw on Facebook that was like, you know, introductions are important. You should, you know, state who you are, what's relevant and set expectations. And the example is, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. <laughs> Prepare to die. Um, and you know, like, it, this feel like welcoming in a sense. It's like, you know, we're here. We're going to do, you know, like that scene, like there's comfort found in that. I don't know. So yeah. I just keep thinking of that. And, um, that's great. Um, yeah. And then I just watched the recently watched the Banshees of Venice Sharon. Has anyone seen that? Oh, brilliant. You know, and so like, like at the it's end, so weird. like it, you know, like, like there's try not to spoil things, but like, you know, there's like this feud. Yeah, but then at the end, it's like, thanks for taking care of my dog. And he's like, Oh, ask me anytime, you know? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thanks, Ryan. Uh, so that the, the Diego Montoya, uh, is actually a really helpful transition to my next point because Paul talks about there are limitations to hospitality. There are limitations to welcome and, uh, uh, one of those is that communities can't be everything to everybody. And so having a clear sense of the promises that you're going to make and staying true to those means there are some promises you can't make and shouldn't make. Um, there's also, uh, uh, Charles isn't here, so, uh, or the other, um, lead person, Teb, but, it makes me wonder, like, welcoming everyone into our community is neither possible or healthy, right? For example, um, one of the limitations, how is a community supposed to welcome someone who has been abused and at the same time welcome their abuser? Uh, I, I know of a church who, like us, has this posture, this value of welcoming everybody. And recently, where you have someone who experienced uh, uh, sexual harassment and abuse and the abuser, and they're like, we want to find space for both of you to be here. Um, it is, and others will agree, research points to it, uh, it's the abuser who gets the space because the victim is far more likely to say, I can't be in this space, even if forgiveness has happened, right? Um, there's a limitation there. If a community has a clear sense of their identity, how might they welcome someone whose behavior violates that very identity? How does a community that is committed to telling the truth continue to stay welcoming to someone who does not, particularly when that dishonesty is harmful? So it feels a little bit odd for me to talk about we are a hospitable people. There's always room at the table. Everyone is welcome. While I'm also saying there are limitations to that. So I'm curious, what do you think about this tension? How have you experienced it? Do you agree with Paul? And I guess the argument I'm making, are there limitations to being a welcoming community? What are your thoughts, reflections on that? Julie has something to say quickly. <laughs> Like, I just look at the life of Jesus. I'm like, well, Jesus wouldn't turn anyone away. But then I really start thinking about it. And I'm like, no, like, Jesus let the rich young ruler walk away. Like, he was like, this is what I'm about. This is what it means to follow me. And, like, this might not be the place for you. And, like, I'm not going to try to find a space for you. Like, 
this is where I'm going. Like, you know, and let them walk away. And I just think, you know, you, it is very tempting, I think, in, I don't know if it's our culture or our locations to be like, we want to have something for everybody. Or we want to, you know, like, I want to please everybody with what we're doing. And like, Mm -hmm. we can be about that so that people who are about that can come, but not so much about that, that people who aren't about that (laughs) are like, you're so about that. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, and it's just hard. Like, I think you have to say, like, there's some people we're going to say, this is who we are and this is where we're going. And and let them walk away and wish them well. Like that's, um, I mean, obviously the return ruler needed to get his affairs in order, but <laughs> not, a, you know, yeah. that's where the analogy ends. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Um, yeah. Along with that, you know, like Jesus is way more with the vibes of the outcasts and making friends with the people who are like, you know, don't talk to them. Don't, you know, unclean. Um, and yeah, like he really wasn't welcoming to the hoity toity church people who just felt like they knew the right things. Darrell. Okay. I think part of it too is that you can offer, but as in the case of Rich Young Ruler and, and what you're mentioning, Jen, too, is that you can offer. That doesn't mean it will be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, people will look at our identity and say, I want nothing to do with that identity. And that's where you don't go chasing after that. You don't go, hey, you know, please come back. Please come back. No. You can't do that. You can't do that with everyone. But I do think there has to be some sort of uh, posture mm-hmm. of love and grace, regardless. Um, but yes, if you have someone coming in that's actually destroying what you are and who you are, you know, even Paul talks about it, that in First Corinthians 3, mm-hmm. that anyone who destroys the temple of God, which all of us form together, then God will destroy that person. And however you want to interpret that, you know, mm-hmm. a person that would destroy um, the community. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to be allowed not to be there, I think. So it's, it's a tough, it's yeah. a tough call. Yep. You know, thanks, Daryl. So, uh, like, We'd like to say, you know, like Jesus became all things to all people so they could, you know, yeah. win some, but you can't be all things, all people at the same time. Right. right. Like, um, like w- when you're like moving cross culturally or counterculturally to, to engage with people or different cultures or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're actually shifting mm-hmm. somewhat what you're about to highlight specific aspects of what you're about. Right. Yeah. Um, but you can't, you can't like, like, uh, like one metaphor would be like, you can't learn another language to speak it to someone and not like be changed yourself. Right. Like, um, 
Um, and it's actually impossible to maintain your mother tongue while you're doing that. Like, right. like you, you lose vocabulary, whether you yeah. want to or not. So. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Miles, did you raise your hand or no? I was pretty awesome. Let me see. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Wait. And go. And again. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I will keep it brief. I was just kind of laughing to myself a little bit when, when you said, and now let me give a list of the people that we shouldn't give welcome to at the table. Right. Uh, the ways the church has answered that question right. over the centuries, um, has not always covered ourselves in glory, right. uh, in that. And so that is a, 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 a tricky question and one that mm-hmm. requires wisdom and insight, um, and I certainly don't have the the answer of, of how that should be done, but I was thinking. I think you shared with us Ben before the phrase "do the next thing that love requires" yeah. as a guiding light for for a church, and um, for various reasons. I, when I was listening to um, the message from last week that we missed while we were out of town, um, that phrase has been mm-hmm. bubbling up in my mind, mm-hmm. um, and I would offer that up as as one way to try to get that yeah. question as right as possible. Yeah. I think I think St. Francis said that, or Augustine. I was going to say somebody Brees, somebody so. who's dead said that. <laughs> or Ben, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was hoping, but I don't know why I keep expecting different things when this happens every time. Uh, to do a few things, but I'm going to truncate it. Um, I was going to invite us to return to Psalm 146. And, uh, ask the question, what do we learn about being a welcome, welcoming community from how the psalmist depicts who God is? God is the bringer of justice to the oppressed, bringer of bread to the hungry, the one who sets prisoners free, opens eyes of the blind, lifts up those who are bowed down. Righteous God loves the righteous. Uh, Love is a stranger, orphan, and widow. So as we understand and look to who God is, how might that inform the kind of table that we embody? Um, How might we, in the spirit of we can't be everything to all people at the same time, how do we embody, in some ways, prioritize the kind of community we want to be uh, and understand our identity in the midst of that? John 2, um, it is striking to me. This is one of my big push, pushes always for reframing hospitality, uh, particularly in the church, which historically the American church likes to do things on our terms and our turf, right? We want people to come to us. What it looks like to uh, receive the hospitality of others on their terms and their turf and that to be a welcoming community isn't just because we have something to offer them. Uh, we have something to receive. It gets striking to me that Jesus is the guest and he's the one who brings the wine to the party. That to be a welcoming community, to be hospitable is this, uh, is founded in this belief that we're missing out, uh, when we can't welcome the stranger that we are actually robbing ourselves of the opportunity to have a pretty good party with great wine uh, when we don't create space where all are welcome. Um, Let me pray. 
God, we uh, give thanks um, with full hearts for the table that you have opened up before us, for receiving us in all the ways that we do and don't deserve it. We give you thanks. And we are mindful of the difficulty of this pursuit, both the ways that it challenges us to welcome those that might be hard for us to welcome and to understand who we are and the ways that that might conflict with people's desire or ability um, to be a part uh, of your community here. Um, God, we don't know um, how to do it. We do not have the answers, but we trust um, that in love and in your mercy, uh, we might fumble our way uh, to continue to be the community you want us to be. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and the gift of open hearts. Help us um, always pursue um, the value of making room, that there is always room at this table, first and foremost, because it does not belong to us. It belongs to you. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, world without end. Amen. Wow.